0: Listen as Dr. Spiro Catalan, Dr. Reem Mustafa, and Lena Russell discuss what's on the horizon in TTP research and treatment. This podcast is part of a comprehensive educational resource designed by leading experts for the global community to help you stay abreast of the evolving science and latest clinical advancements in thrombotic thrombocytopenic purpura. Hello, everyone. My name is Reem Mustafa, and I'm one of the nephrologists at the University of Kansas Medical Center, and I'm joined here by Dr. Linnea Russell, an intensivist from the University of Copenhagen Hospital, and Dr. Sparrow Catland, a hematologist from The Ohio State University. And uh, we will be discussing today what's in the horizon for TTP research and treatment, As many of you know, it's an exciting time with new treatment opportunities, but we also have long history with treatments that we know, and we still have many questions that are not answered. So Dr. Catlin and Dr. Russell, what do you think are the main things in relation to treatment that we have now?
1: Well, it's it's uh, certainly very exciting to have the first FDA approved medication for TTP, and Caplacizumab and is certainly a significant advance in the therapeutics of TTP to really block these exacerbations, as well as potentially really blunt the effects of of these refractory cases of TTP that we've seen before. But certainly significant advances. I think the future questions are are going to arise that can you further minimize. The need for plasma-based therapy in addition to caplacizumab. There's no question with caplacizumab, the plasma exchange courses are shorter. Can you even shorten them further, lessening your dependence on plasma exchange, which is really a non-specific therapy for TTP compared to other more targeted therapies? I think the other thing that's in study right now in clinical trials is the recombinant ts 13 and interestingly, it's being studied in both congenital TTP as well as immune-mediated TTP. There were certainly some data, early phase 1, 2 studies, from congenital TTP patients, but none thus far in immune-mediated TTP patients with recombinant data TF13. So I think uh, both of those ongoing studies are going to yield some interesting data uh, and ask I further think, questions.
2: Yeah, I think in the um, future, there will probably be some focus on uh, defining the optimal first line treatment. What do we do first when we get the patient into, in my case, the ICU? And some patients would probably respond to PECs and steroids alone. And it may be possible that we could limit the use of some of these very expensive drugs, which might limit costs to in some places with less resources. So if we could find a way uh, defining the optimal first-line treatment and uh, maybe through some increased monitoring, we could thereby maybe identify which patients who would benefit from early use of caplazizumab and rituximab and the more expensive medications.
1: It's interesting now that we have multiple agents that are FDA approved or shown to be effective. And it's, we've never had this issue before of multiple treatments, but I think Lenny's exactly right. It's going to be the the appropriate and optimal sequencing of these therapies for efficacy, but also safety and individual decisions that might guide why you might do one thing before the other are going to be very... And another another thing
2: would be, since there are more and more cardiac side effects described and the role for catalyzation, cardiac catalyzation and other procedures that might also cause bleeding, what would the role of capilla be in these patients? I also think um, the role of uh, aspirin will be uh, discussed, especially in relation to patients with cardiac involvement.
0: So that's a very interesting point. Um, So what do you think about uh, the role of aspirin or maybe... um, anticoagulation therapy in general as prophylaxis or treatment uh, in these patients? Are, are we clear on what to do? Um, should we offer them a prophylactic treatment like we offer other patients, or should we hold that to avoid bleeding?
1: I, I think certainly in patients with known cardiac risk factors or cardiac disease, the aspirin should be started as soon as possible, preferably above a plan count of 50,000. But if it's with a patient with known cardiac disease, epicardial disease, you might want to start even lower. That's where clinical judgment comes in. If you look at troponins at all comers, though, you will see a lot of patients, a significant number with elevations of the troponin, and primarily due to microvascular involvement of the heart from their TTP. So a bit different than the typical epicardial cardiac disease, maybe not as responsive to aspirin. We're not sure how to treat it other than treat the TTP. But certainly, the aspirin makes sense when it's safe. I think the same can be said for DBT prophylaxis. There's a recent study from a Canadian group looking at really nailing down that there is still a risk for venous thrombosis in hospitalized TTP patients. And they require DVT prophylaxis similar to other patients uh, that may be hospitalized.
2: Anyone looked into uh, PEX modalities? I know in my country, we mainly use the plasma filters. And uh, I know in the States, you mainly use centrifuge-based systems. Is that correct?
1: I think primarily centrifuge-based systems, and we might know more about it than I do. But there's also discussions on which type of plasma replacement product, regular plasma versus um, the octoplast, which has been sort of pathogens inactivated. Uh, a bit more expensive, as I understand it, but certainly used in many centers.
0: Yes, that's certainly true. And I I do think this is um, one of the areas where uh, some more research would really help all of us to um, kind of look at the um, trade-offs between any potential benefits and harms specifically for these patients, but similarly, really things like uh, the dosing of steroids. In many other areas now for other diseases, we're very conscious of the collective dose of steroids that these patients receive in their lifetime and all the potential harms. And we're trying to minimize uh, that total amount of steroids they use, but it remains kind of unclear what is the optimal dose. Any thoughts about that?
1: I think most physicians in the U.S. and maybe around the world will use one milligram per kilogram of prednisone. The, the optimal time to taper is, is not uniform. Certainly shorter courses versus longer courses. And as you've stated, long-term courses of steroids are really problematic for side effects and really should be avoided. Um, the effects of the steroids are going to be replaced by the longer-term effects of rituximab in many situations. Steroids are effective, but certainly a lot of complications associated with them long-term.
0: Well, I want to say this really has been very interesting discussion and extremely informative. And I think um, we covered uh, important areas, Uh, but I just don't want to end before congratulating the uh, community, the TTP community, whether it's patients community, patients advocacy group, uh, clinicians and researchers on a huge achievement uh, that they were able to actually collaboratively run randomized trials that led to the approval of important medications that are likely uh, to change the course of this disease. And this just gives us um, really excitement and hope that we will be able to um, test whether existing modalities or new modalities to identify the optimal treatment options uh, for these patients. Um, And this is especially impressive in an area where it's a rare disease. Uh, So congratulations to all those who've been involved. And uh, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Russell and Dr. Catlin, for a very informative session. Check back for more podcasts on thrombotic thrombocytopenic purpura. Additional education on TTP is available on academy.isth.org.